Well, uh, would you take out your Bibles? And we're going to be opening up to the book of Jonah this morning. Jonah chapter 2 is where we're going to be. Let me pray while you do that. Lord, uh, what a privilege it is to open up your word today. This word that is living and active. This word that is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. Lord God, uh, may we be a people, Lord, who are in your word. Who are not just hearers of your word, but who also who hear and who do. and Put it into practice, Lord. And this morning, as we open up your word, I, I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would cause it to come alive in our hearts afresh today. Lord, even a passage and a story that perhaps we've known so well and read many times, Lord. Just thank you that your spirit can just bring fresh life and perspective. And I ask that you would do that this morning. Lord, may we be a people that grab hold of your grace, Lord God, and your mercy, and be able to extend that to others, Lord God. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can you remember the last time that you were truly amazed by something? Perhaps a brilliant piece of music that you'd heard. Perhaps a a, a scientific or technological discovery that you've kind of come across and you're like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Perhaps a, a sporting feat or endeavor that really took your breath away or thought, wow, that is incredible. Perhaps it was a meal that you, you know, shared at a wonderful restaurant or something like that. Perhaps it was the sound of you hearing your baby's heartbeat or hearing their cry for the first time. Can you remember the last time that you were truly amazed by something? I came across this article recently and the writer was kind of exploring this idea putting forth this idea, this question of whether we have experienced uh, the death of amazement. The death of amazement. And this writer, particular writer was, was writing within the sports context, specifically how so many wonderful sporting endeavours now, there's a, there's a healthy dose of scepticism associated with it because it seems like so many amazing achievements are often found to not entirely be genuine, or there's other factors at play, like cheating or doping or things like that. And this writer was saying, you know, because of this, have we lost our ability to be amazed? And it got me thinking, you know, is this true of us in this day and age that we live in, even as followers of Jesus? Have we lost our ability to be amazed or find Things amazing. To be surprised or, or lost in wonder or astonishment, which is what the word amazed means. You know, we, we have this uh, in our generation. It's a, a Google generation, isn't it? It's like anything we kind of hear about or want to find out, we can just kind of take out our smartphone or our device. We can quickly Google it, search it up, and we're like, oh, There you go. That's how it works. Instead of being amazed. John Newton, who was a very famous figure from the 1700s, 
former slave trader who encountered Jesus, he wrote the famous hymn, perhaps one of the most famous of all time, Amazing Grace, in 1772, in response to the amazing grace of the Lord Jesus, which had left him astonished, which had left him in wonder and, quite frankly, amazed, hence the title. Now, some have questioned over the years whether, whether some of the lyrics are you know, hyperbole or a bit, bit dramatic in what they say or convey. But Newton clearly did not think so, as he understood that this grace that he had been shown was undeserved. It was beyond his ability, it was beyond what he could do for himself, and it was a grace that transformed his life. Newton experienced a miracle at sea when he surrendered his life to Jesus and received the grace and the mercy of God. And in a similar vein, Jonah, in this passage we'll be reading today, he also experienced a miracle at sea. When he was at the bottom, he experienced the mercy and the grace of God. In fact, the kind of mercy and grace that God desired to show to Nineveh as well. And of course, Jonah was delivered. Isn't it just like the Lord to show up and reveal his mercy and his grace in an unexpected place and when it is perhaps least deserved? So as we continue our series through Jonah this morning, what can we learn about God's mercy and about his grace? We see in today's passage that God is merciful and he reveals his mercy and grace in this unexpected place, in the heart of the sea, in the belly of the fish, after Jonah had messed up. He'd willfully rebelled against God. He'd done whatever he could to kind of do the opposite, to flee from the presence of the Lord. And the Lord, I believe, desired to show and teach Jonah of his mercy and grace so that he could grasp it, he could understand it, and then be able to show his mercy and grace to the people of Nineveh. And in the same way, I believe he desires to teach us of his mercy and his grace so that we can grasp it, because we so desperately need that, so that we can understand it and so that we can then show that same mercy and grace to those around us. Let's read. Uh, We'll actually start in in Jonah 1, verse 17. It says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope 
of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. So, of course, this is one of the most famous stories in all of Scripture, isn't it? Jonah and the great fish. And as we know, Jonah knew what was going on here. As we've heard over the last couple of uh, weeks, he had rebelled against God. He'd done the complete opposite to what God had said. And he got to this point where he recognized that he was kind of the problem. The great storm that God had sent uh, to the ship and to those on the ship, he kind of realized, look, I'm the issue here. Throw me over and you'll be okay. And yet it's here in this place that he encounters God's mercy and grace. And for Jonah, up until this point, things had been going down, down, down. In a downward spiral, down. In chapter 1, verse 3, it said he went down to Joppa. He went down into the ship. In in verse 5 of chapter 1, he had gone down into the inner part of of the ship. And here, he had gone down into the depths of the sea. He had been going down ever since he had rebelled against the Lord. And unfortunately, or perhaps we could say fortunately, when we turn our back on God, and I'm not just talking about a a dry season or a wilderness season, but talking about willful and continual rebellion as was exhibited here by Jonah. When that happens, it's a a one-way trip down. And I say unfortunately because it's, it's down, it's, it's hard, it's unpleasant. There may be things that we have to go through or deal with or lessons that we need to learn because of disobedience or rebellion. But I say it's fortunate because God's mercy and his grace are so often found down at the bottom when we least expect it and when we least deserve it. So as soon as Jonah hits the water, he was continuing to go down. God miraculously saves him. This divine mercy and this amazing grace that Jonah had found so offensive at first with regards to God's heart for the people of Nineveh, it turns out to be his only hope. It turns out to be all he had to cling to in the belly of the fish. The first thing I believe we can learn from this is that God's mercy often looks different than we would perhaps desire or expect. God's mercy is often packaged differently than perhaps we would like or expect. This week at home, I came home one day and there was this you know, massive box. It was a delivery that we'd received, big cardboard box. I thought, wow, this is a big package. I didn't know at the time, but... Uh, inside this package was not some big bulky good, but it was like one Tupperware container that we'd ordered. <laughs> one Tupperware container that was just covered in packaging. And I went to lift this thing, you know, I thought oh, I might need to bend my knees and I nearly threw it through the roof because it was just packaged so differently than what I had expected. For something that big, I thought, surely it's got to be something big and heavy and bulky. But it was this tiny little 
Tupperware container. God's mercy often looks different or is packaged differently than what we might expect. So in verse 17 of chapter 1, we read that the Lord, that God appointed a great fish. He appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Now, the Lord orchestrated things to teach Jonah something that he needed to learn and know, to stop his downward trajectory of pride and rebellion and move him to a place of again tasting his mercy and his grace. Sometimes the most important lessons in our lives, often brought about by God's mercy, may seem hard at the time. Jonah needed to be stripped of idols, of pride, of rebellion, of a sense of nationalism and self-sufficiency before his deliverance was possible. And for us, there may be times that we too need to be stripped of pride, hardness of heart, self-sufficiency, self-absorption, so that the Lord's deliverance can come. In Romans 2 verse 4, it says that God's, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's God's kindness, often packaged in a different way than we might expect, that will lead us to that place of repentance, to that place of encountering his mercy so that we can turn our hearts back towards him. And I believe that's what happened here for Jonah. Here at the bottom, in the depths of the sea, stuck in the belly of the fish, the change began to occur. And it wasn't just being at the bottom that brought change, but it's what he did there. Jonah prayed, Jonah praised, and Jonah proclaimed. Let's unpack this a little bit. Verse 1 of chapter 2, he'd been there, he's in the belly of the fish, and it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Let me say right there, that's always a great key and a great strategy when we find ourselves at the bottom, to pray to the Lord our God. Even from the belly of a fish, even from the, the situation or the circumstance or the mess that we may have found ourselves in. Then Jonah prayed. I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. In that place of where God's mercy had showed up and in that place where he was kind of realizing what's going on, he turned his heart towards the Lord again. Verse 4 we read, Yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. Verse 7, he says, My prayer came to you. I remembered the Lord. He repented. He recognized actually that his current situation was his own fault and was in fact deserved. But he cried to the Lord his God. The Lord our God is the God who hears and he is the God who responds. So Jonah prayed and then Jonah praised. He gets to this point towards the end of this, this chapter. He says, but I with the voice or with the song of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you. I will bring you an offering of praise. Jonah praises God in this place before the deliverance came. He was still very much in the belly of the fish. But he gets to this point of, of realizing something so amazing. This point of realizing, wow, God's mercy. He, has, he saved me. He's rescued me. Though I may deserve to be in here, 
he's, he's shown his mercy to me. And that is worthy of my praise. Perhaps there's been a time in your life where you've needed to press in and praise the Lord before the breakthrough or the deliverance or the miracle you've been searching for came. Perhaps you find yourself in that kind of place right now. Suffering and pain can in fact lead us to a new awareness of God's mercy and His goodness and His grace. So Jonah prayed at the bottom. He praised and then Jonah proclaimed. And he gets to this point at the end of his prayer of speaking of the Lord's steadfast love. Or another translation says grace. It's this word for, for grace or steadfast love. The Lord's kindness and his goodness, this unmerited, undeserved gift. So he gets to this point of speaking of the Lord's steadfast love before proclaiming salvation is of the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. The central kind of theme of Scripture, really, the central message of this book, the central message that he would, was called to proclaim to the people of Nineveh. Proclaiming the grace and the mercy of God that had been revealed to him or discovered by him in this prison that he had found himself in. So Jonah prayed, Jonah praised, and Jonah proclaimed. And then, of course, he was projected by the fish onto dry land. That's kind of not something that was done by him. He prayed, he praised, and he was proclaimed before being launched into uh, the next phase of, of his repentance and of what God had for him. But before his, this point of proclamation was this process of recognizing, recognizing his sin and his rebellion, these idols that were operating in his heart. In verse 8, in the NIV, it says that those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Perhaps for Jonah in that place of severe mercy, Perhaps there was this realization of pride and rebellion, of him wanting to judge who should and shouldn't receive mercy. Perhaps he realized that that was idolatry in his own heart. And I don't want to forfeit this grace that could be mine. So for us this morning, there are some great keys that we can grab hold of to pray, to praise, and to get to this point of proclaiming when we find ourselves in a situation of pain or the Lord's discipline when we're down at the bottom. But to get to this proclamation of grace, there is an invitation, I believe, to discover the true meaning of his grace. Because if a, a successful prophet or preacher can be in the dark about the reality of grace, we, we can as well. So just want to spend a moment just focusing on a few things for us to grab hold of this morning about the nature of grace. It's so important that we're able to grasp this, for it's what we truly need, but it's also what the world around us truly needs. First of all, God's grace is undeserved. It's the unmerited favor kindness and goodness of God. It's a free gift. And if it's undeserved, it must mean that we are undeserving. 
In our modern culture, it's offensive to think or be told that we are wrong, let alone that we need help, that there is something wrong with us or that we are undeserving of something. And Jonah recognised this place where he found, that he found himself in was in fact deserved. He'd said, he knew that he had disobeyed and he'd said that you cast me into the deep, that your waves and your billows crashed over me. But in that place, Jonah receives a second chance. As that hymn, Amazing Grace says, it says, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. How sweet the sound. Perhaps he was expecting something different than what he received. Perhaps you're expecting to hear this morning the sound of rejection or punishment or condemnation rather than the grace, the undeserved gift and kindness of our God. May we hear afresh this morning the sweet sound of God's undeserved grace. Because our God is the God of the second chance. Even when it is undeserved, because that's kind of the whole point of grace. Things are never too far gone. Wherever you may be at this morning, maybe you've turned away. Maybe you've kind of made mistakes. Maybe you've hardened your heart. Maybe you've been living your own way. This morning, throw yourself upon the mercy and the grace of the Lord. And cry out to Him for a second chance. Don't stay in that place of believing, I'm too far gone. I don't deserve another chance. You don't. I don't. None of us do. But that's the point of grace. This undeserved grace must lead us to gratitude. As Jonah gets to this point, I sacrifice with thanksgiving. I'll praise you, Lord, for this undeserved free gift. God's grace is undeserved. God's grace does that which is beyond our ability to do. For Jonah, he wasn't there in the belly of the fish, thinking, right, all I need is a bit of, a, bit of rope, maybe a torch, something sharp that I can get myself out of here, and I've got this. I can fix this. I'm going to be okay. How often we can live with that sort of mentality. I'm a guy, I'm a well-intentioned male. I know how easy that is. I just want to get in and fix it. I want to get in and, you know, solve the problems. I've got this. But as the hymn says, it's amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. It saved us when we could do nothing to save ourselves. Jonah recognized that his situation was beyond his ability to do something about. In verse 6, he says, I went down. The bars closed upon me forever. There's no way out of this mess in my own strength or ability. And then he says, in verse 6, yet you. Yet you. Well, the NIV puts it, but you, O Lord, brought my life up out of the pit. Aren't you glad for the yet you, God? The but God. The God interventions in our lives. <laughs> Ephesians 2 verse, or starting in verse 1. It says, you were dead in your transgressions and the sins in which you walked. You were dead 
Not just in need of a little bit of help, you know, a little bit of a correction and then you'll be okay. You were dead, you were in need of not just resuscitation but resurrection. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following your own way, following the things of this world. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. But God, being rich in mercy. This morning, remember the but God story. The but God story for Jonah in the belly of the fish after his rebellion, which gave him a second chance. The but God story for Nineveh in the midst of their wickedness and impending judgment. That if they repented, God's heart was to deliver and to save and to show mercy, to do what they could not do for themselves. The but God story for our lives today, that God is writing and continues to write the story of his grace and his mercy that changes and transforms us. This grace that does that which is beyond our ability to do must lead us to look to him. The yet you, Lord, not our own abilities, not our own wisdom, not our own you know, capacity to kind of have it all together, but it must lead us to look to him, for he alone is able to make a way. Finally this morning, God's grace, it changes and transforms us. As the hymn says, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. This is what the work of God's amazing grace does in our lives. When we consider this grace, this undeserved gift, this, the fact that it does beyond what is in our ability to do, what else could we do but respond in praise? And you know, this grace is not license or an excuse to live as we please. There is a transforming element to it. For Jonah... He says, I don't want to forfeit this grace that could be mine. And then he says, what I have vowed, I will pay. There's transformation there, going from running from the presence of the Lord. Uh, No thanks, I'm going to do my own thing here too. No, what I have vowed, I will pay. He's gone from a place of rebelling to responding, from fighting to surrendering. And for us this morning... We are to grasp and understand this grace in a way that transforms us. There needs to be a realization of how costly this grace is, the price that Jesus paid for us. Can I get the worship team to come up at this point as we bring this to a close? Just as Jonah needed to taste 
and rediscover the mercy and the grace of God. So for some of us here, there is a need for that this morning. This mercy and this grace is our only hope and what we so desperately need for ourselves and our own lives, whether things are going well or not. But that's so we can show or be vessels of his mercy and his grace to those around us. Back to Newton's hymn. We sing amazing grace. But is that just a, a phrase? Has the amazing factor diminished or gone? Has it become common for us this morning? Timothy Keller says that God's grace becomes truly amazing when we fully believe and we grasp that we deserve nothing but condemnation, that we are utterly incapable of saving ourselves, but that God has in fact saved us and made a way at infinite cost to himself. Because this leads us to look to him, to rely upon him, not our own strength, and to live in response to all that he has done. Can we just focus our attention upon the Lord as we finish up our service this morning? for each of us here we come this morning in all manner of different places for some of us we feel we're in the midst of the fire for some of us we're perhaps on the mountaintop for some of us perhaps there's been a hardening of our hearts Lord Lord, I thank you that you see and you know each and every one of us here. And Lord, what we we so desperately need, Lord, is your mercy and your grace, Lord. To not just know information about that, for it to not just be a theory for us, Lord God for us to grasp and understand afresh today this undeserved gift that you have given this this gift that goes beyond our own ability and that which we can do for ourselves Lord and Lord we need to know this grace that changes and transforms us more and more into your likeness Lord Jesus so I just pray this day that your grace would be poured out afresh upon your people that Lord we would be a people who know and encounter 
and understand your mercy and your grace, Lord, even know that we'll be spending eternity, really, unpacking and discovering that more and more. May grace grab hold of us, Lord, that we might be vessels of your mercy and grace, Lord, to those around us, I pray. as we finish up our time together this morning just bless each person here to know this grace to know your mercy to know your love to go from here just a little different Lord or a lot different than when we came in our hearts be filled with joy know your presence in a deeper way, I pray. Thank you.